Welcome to the Uncomfortable Truth Podcast, hosted by the rock star of consulting, Alan Weiss. Be prepared to have your beliefs challenged and your behaviors questioned. Hello, Nito. Good morning, Alan. Good to see you. Good to see you. I was trying to make sure I get in here and not double do it. You're looking good. Well, thank you. Thank 40, you. Sir. You're 45 now or 46? Or yeah. Not? I'm two years older than you are, Nito. No, you're not. <laughs> yes, I'm I am. 102. Yeah, well. <laughs> and you've accomplished what other people do in 500 years. So that's very uh, well, impressive. Thank you, sir. You're very kind. Listen, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, My pleasure. Tell me what you want me to do. I and just I'm okay you. like this without a without a coat, or do you want me to put a coat on? No, you look great. Look at me. Uh, but don't want this is not video. We're just using the audio track. Oh, just audio. Oh, so I wasted three hours sitting in me. Clean, you nothing. cleaned up for nothing, Nito. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I just recorded uh, just to tell you just for fun. Uh we're we're good, Jeannie. This is just audio, so we're good. Um so you can hear me okay, or should I put a mic on? Uh, you're good for me. Yep, just put a mic on just to be sure. All right. Um, so we're doing something interesting. We are, uh, this is something I think that would be intriguing for you, uh, but something you know all too well. So I ask myself the question every day, you know, I'm in a very competitive field. I still, by the way, doing a lot of consulting and speaking and all that, as you might surmise. But I, um, you know, took the school that was nothing and, and made it into a really pretty big deal. Um, and the question for me every day is knowing that there's a tremendous competitive terrain around the question for me is, um, how do we make sure that we're not easily imitatable? That's the question. How easily can somebody else imitate what we do? Because I tell my people there are two ways to not be easily imitatable. One is with quality, but the other one is with quantity. So simple things like. You, you know, I got to bring you down here as you can see what we got. You'll be, you'll be phenomenally impressed. Um, but, you know, in fact, Alan, shoot me your, well, no, I have it. I have your mailing address. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have it. Listen, but, I, have me come down and, and, and work with a class. I'm cheap. I work for free. I work for okay. free. <laughs> I've got to do that. I've got to do that. <laughs> I've got to do that. Um, okay. I'm making a note here. I don't write something down, you know, it just slips away in the dilemmas of life. So, Nito, um, let me ask you, let me ask you a favor here. Yeah. Let me do a little introduction for you. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll get back to the point that you want to raise about not being duplicatable and so forth. Okay. Fair enough? Sure. All right. So this is my first format. Welcome uh, to the Uncomfortable Truth. My first format with a guest. And I'll have a series of guests twice a month. And they are icons and they are thought leaders and innovators. And I'm very, very happy that the greatest icon I know, Nito Gabain, is on my very first of this new format. Uh, some background. He's been president of High Point University since 2005. Uh, he's been awarded an honorary doctor of letters in humanities from the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. He's the founder and chairman emeritus of the National Speakers Association Foundation. And in fact, Nito and I met probably 40 years ago at NSA, uh, and we're both colleagues. We're colleagues in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he served as chairman of the Great Harvest Bread Company, on the board of directors of what is now Trust Financial, uh, and on the board of directors of Lazy Boy Corporation. Now listen to this. In 2016, the Chronicle of Higher Education reported that Nito was the third highest donor university president in the country, 
From 2006 to 2016, he committed $10 million to High Point University. He's been inducted into the Horatio Alger Association of Distinguished Americans. He was awarded the National Ethic Coalition of Organizations Ellis Island Medal of Honor. He was awarded the Daughters of the American Revolution Americanism Medal. He's written 11 books. He came to the United States in 1966, and he's two years younger than I am. Now, one more thing. From 2005 to 2021 at High Point University, student enrollment went from 1,600 to over 6,000. Faculty from 100 to over 300. Academic schools from 3 to 11. Campus buildings from 22 to 126. Total positions from 360 to over 1,800. Economic impact of 160 million to 760 million plus. A capital budget of 38 million to 300 million plus and study abroad programs from five to 56. So Nito, let me start out after welcoming you by saying, uh, was this a long held dream of yours or was it an impulse at the time when you took this position? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, let me first say, Alan, I am so proud to be with you. You're one of my heroes. Uh, I've known you for a long time. I have watched you with admiration from afar and from near. I have been party to being in your audience, reading your books that are amazing and so substantive. And you have survived, my friend, and thrived in an, in an atmosphere, in a world that most people simply cannot do. There are very, very few people, I can count them on a hand or two, who have been able to survive in the speaking, consulting, writing business as you have for the better part of four or maybe five decades. So let me just say it's my honor to be with you. And I hope that everybody listening to this can acknowledge and understand the power that you brought forth, both with your influence and impact. Now, to answer your question, no, Alan, are you kidding? That was <laughs> never a dream of mine to become a college president. You know my story. I was doing 140 dates a year uh, for big fees. I was consulting with dozens of organizations and CEOs. I was living the good life. I'd written a bunch of books. People were buying my CDs and books like there was no tomorrow. And everything was hunky-dory. However, I was also the incoming uh, chair of the board of trustees of High Point University in High Point, North Carolina, where I went for my undergraduate studies. And then for graduate school, I went to the University of North Carolina in Greensboro and so on. So... The school, Alan, was not doing well. You, you work with a lot of companies. You know what I'm saying to you? Com companies have a way and schools have a way, universities have a way of getting into this rut, into the comfort zone, uh, into the lackadaisical times, into the yesterdays of our life, we'll work in the tomorrows of our life. And that just isn't so. So we were, we were in pretty much desperate case at High Point. Um, we were... You know, we had a lot of debt. We, we had $120 million in deferred maintenance. We had only 300 and some freshmen. We're losing them at 20% per annum. Uh, you know, budget was nothing. We were losing money every year. And so the board came to me and said, Nito, listen, we, we'd love for you to be chair, but we'd, we really need you to be president, which I said, you're absolutely crazy or drunk. But you know what, Alan? You know, this has happened in your life too. And I'm sure many listening to us will, will relate to this. Sometimes you just feel it in your gut. Sometimes you just feel led to do something. And 
I wouldn't give him an answer. I just took months. My family and I were in the Far East on an excursion every summer. We go 45 days, travel around the world. And, um, and it just nagged away at me. Like, I talked to a bunch of my CEO buddies, and they all said, Neil, you got to do it. you got to do it. you got to do it. You can redefine what a university should be. You can, you can reframe, you know, the essence of learning for these kids, given the, the change in our life. You've had a significant business career and so on. Um, in the end, Alan, about three or four months later, I said, I'll do it, but you got to give me six months because I really have to realign my business, business ventures and so on. And I came in January of 05, and my friend, the rest is history. We've gone to the moon. As I speak to you this morning, we just opened up a 22, 23 year. We have 6,000 students. It is not inexpensive to come to High Point. We have a significantly lower discount rate than the national average, sitting at about 59, 60%. I was in the 20s, which simply means people want to come to High Point and they'll find a way to come to High Point. We give a lot of scholarships, of course, but, but that is a... That is a um, uh, a measure of of demand, if you will. You and, know, my, my, my interrupt. What what's? Can you identify the two or three or whatever <clears throat> biggest reasons, aside from you personally being there and putting your attention to it, that the university has grown so dramatically? Yeah, of course I can. I um, I came here and I said we got to do four things, four things and four things. Number one, generally speaking, we have to have a clear vision. Who are we? Why are we here? What are we trying to do? Who will benefit from that? Why would they care? Number two, we have to have a solid strategy. Where are we? Where do we want to go? How do we get there? What might stop us? What might be in the way? How do we overcome those, those, those handicaps? Um, number three, we can only employ practical systems. Forget this baloney about we're going to do this and this and this and this, and we're going to be the greatest in the world. Let's take it a step at a time. And number four, we have to consistently execute even in the face of difficulty. And I came in 05, and what happened in 08, Alan? 08 and 09, the world came to an end. Your 401k became 101k. And... And I said, we will execute consistently. There was a recession. We choose not to participate. And the, the, then the other specific four things to High Point, we created value. We interpreted the value, right? People think providing value is important. It's, it's commonplace. What's important is providing appreciated value. And the only way you're going to get appreciated value is to meet people's of uh, fears, needs, goals, and aspirations. So that means you must interpret your value in a way that the other person can find usefulness in it. So we create value, we interpret the value, we removed all the irritants out of the system. Don't bill parents every week for something. You're driving them nuts. Charge them one fee per semester, include it all in there. They love you and send you a lot of contributions. And finally, add wow to the experience. You can't be like everybody else. Vanilla University, we must add wow at every turn. That's what we did. All right, so hold on here now. We employed it very well. All right, so you, the value statement fascinates me because it's very prominent in your collateral material, in your promotion about the university. Tell me a little bit about, is it easy or difficult to have a values-driven kind of institution of higher education? Well, it's difficult. And it's difficult because Institutions of higher learning are very, very embedded in historic legacy. They have a protocol that they follow. They are, they, we are measured and regulated, quote unquote, by accreditation societies. You want to be accredited in every way, at every turn, every school and the university as a whole. So the answer, the short answer is difficult. But, uh, but the footnote to that answer is it's possible. So we believe in the art of the possible. It's difficult, yes. But it doesn't mean it's impossible. So when I came here, 
First thing I wanted to do is to modify the culture. That's my nice way of saying transform the culture, change the culture. From auto-vectoral, it's all about us, faculty, staff, administrators, all about us, to allo-vectoral, vector being a mathematical direction with force. Allo-vector simply means, let's just think about them. These are our clients and our customers. This is our audience, the students, our market, the families. And so what is it they want? What is it they value? What is it they're willing to invest in? And so changing that culture from what do we want to what they want. Now, of course, you have to be responsible and responsive. I'm not suggesting we're going to give them everything. What I am suggesting is you, you, you completely shift your mindset. So that's what we did. We shifted the mindset here to say it's a competitive world. It's a global uh, platform we're living on. There are 4,000 other schools in America. How in the world are we going to stand out? And if we don't stand out as a, as a school that truly meets the needs of our students, prepares them for the world this is going to be, not as it is, not as it was. If we can't plant seeds of greatness in their minds, their hearts, their souls on a daily basis, if we can't ensure that parents feel, feel that they're getting return on investment and therefore they can advocate us to the world, then I don't have a product I can sell. And so, Alan, I lost myself in making that happen. I'm proud to tell you we were able to do it, not the first month, not the first year, but in three or four years, I was able to modify that. And because we're growing so much, the people who are coming in now are coming in with this culture, with this understanding, and so on. And I can tell you how I do it on a daily basis, but, but it's possible. All things are possible, Alan. That's what you've been teaching for years. I love that because attitude. Actually, you just have to know how to get there. Now, speaking of growth, you're in the, you've just concluded, if I have my wording correct, a raising about $400 million. Do I have that number right? Well, we, we invested $3 billion. The latest of our activities is we have under construction at the moment $400 million without one lick of debt. And that's because we're adding new schools, therefore I have to buy, you know, build new buildings on. But you've, I've been reading the literature and you raised this money really without a formal developmental campaign. That's correct. Okay, so tell me that secret. How does that happen? Well, Alan, you, you, know, you know, every question you're asking me, you know the answer to because you- I have me. listeners here, Nito. You know, I, know, I know, I know. But you ask me <laughs> questions, you, you fully understand yourself. I want your listeners to know that I understand, that you understand. All right, so here's the point. I, I value, I respect every individual and I value every relationship. And you can say evaluate every relationship. Some relationships you want to get rid of because they're disruptive in your life. Some relationships you want to enrich and enhance. And so I said, people are just like you and me. They're no different than, than you and me, right? They, they're persuaded basically the same way. You must emote to persuade. You must explain to inform. And so I start talking to people. Well, I'm here, sacrificially so, big time. Um, look, I, I, I believe we can build a great school, but I need your help. I need you to help me. And to whom much is given, much is required. And that's how I raised the money, Alan. I raised the money. We just raised three families just gave us more than $30 million each. You know what I found? In America, there are people who are so ready to help, so willing to help, but they have to agree with what you're doing. They have to believe that what you're doing is meaningful and purposeful. Furthermore, Alan, what I discovered is most people who say, well, I can't raise money or I can't sell this. They've never learned how, how to explain it, how to present it, how to persist, 
um, how to be agile and flexible and, 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 and truly not, not just use information. All right. If all you have is information, you know, people use you and discard you. If you have his knowledge, people will come to call upon you when they need you. But if you have his wisdom, people respect you. So I think respect and trust are the preeminent reasons why people will give you money and not give you money. And so I, you know, I try to always in all my dealings, I try to be respectful. I try to be trustworthy. And I point out to people that every penny someone gave us, we put it to good use. We were never frivolous or, or you know, wasteful. And, and, and Alan, you, you said it correctly. We've had no campaign, zero, no campaign, no brochure. We just talk to people. But in fairness, I got to tell you, today we have 6,000 students. You know, a bunch of them come from very significant business families. So shall we say that the prospect field has become a lot easier for me because of all the schools in America, they pick High Point for a reason. God, family, country, Premier Life Skills University. Those attract them here. And when they're here, I say to them, guess who builds universities? Parents do. Oh, sure, alumni too. But until I get there, parents do. So I need you. I need you in my life. It's also a matter that the, the accumulation of all that is brand and repute. You know, I'm sitting on a plane about a year and a half ago, and uh, I'm sitting in island first class, and people are walking past me to get to coach. And a woman happens to stop by my seat, and she's got a, an outfit on, and it says High Point University. And I said, do you go there? And she says, I do. I said, you know, I know the president. And she looked at me aghast, like I said, you know, I knew Abraham Lincoln. And, and she said, you know Nito Cobain? I said, yes, I do. If you give me a name, I'll put in a good word, you, you know? But I mean, so you're starting to see and hear about the brand and the repute of the school more and more. Yes, I'm very proud of that. We went from a stage of brand awareness, nobody has heard of us, to a stage of brand preference. People said, well, you know, we, we, we kind of like Hypo. Let's go visit Hypo. To a, to a stage of brand insistence. I only want my kid to go to high point. I only want to go to high point. And by the way, I can prove that with early decision. It's early decision, early action, regular decision. So now about 45% of our students, early decision, no other school, apply no other school. Uh, that tells you that you've got something that America and the world is paying attention to, are paying attention to. And, and then of course, I always want to work towards brand advocacy. So if I get you to insist on my brand, we did that in Great Harvest Bread Company. You know, we, we said, can we, how many people can we get who will insist on our brand? That's the only bread I'm going to eat because it's healthy for me. And by the way, uh, um, consciously or subconsciously, they're advocating. How do you advocate the school? By wearing that thing that you saw on the... Yeah, ambassadors. Now, can yeah. I tell you a secret? And, and, and I'll whisper it to you. The, the listeners are going to have to get... get the volume up because I'm going to whisper you. It's a big secret. So um, a friend of mine called me one day from LaGuardia and said, Nito, how many people go to your school? And I said, you know, I don't know. Why, why do you ask? He said, my God, every other person in LaGuardia has got High Point University clothing on. <laughs> well, I said, we have, we have now 6,000, but I said, here's the secret. I teach all the freshmen here. We have 1,600 freshmen. Remember, we had 350 when I came here. Now we have 1,600. 100 freshmen, more freshmen than the entire population of the school when I arrived. And I teach them what you teach them. I teach them laws about life and living, principles about life and living. One of those is called the law of reciprocity. And I say, always give without remembering, always receive without forgetting. Now, Alan, you have always been a faithful donor to our scholarship fund. Sure. And I've never forgotten that. I was telling someone this morning, I'm doing this meeting with Alan. 
uh, Weiss and 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 um, and he's always supported you know kids through our program. And I'm very grateful to you because that's that's your spirit to always share and always be kind. And and uh, although you and I don't really uh, you know run into each other very often, we've been friends for a long time. And so the law of reciprocity simply says. If, if you want me to do something for you, you know, do something for me. Life becomes better if we help each other. And I don't want you to help me out. I want you to help me up. And if I can help you up, lift you up, life becomes better. So here's what I said. You'll get a kick out of this. So in my first year here, I said, we have students from Massachusetts, from California, from et cetera. And I said, you know, these people are going to fly home. It's cheaper to fly home than to drive home sometimes. So we have three major airports in North Carolina, in Charlotte, Raleigh, and High Point, Greensboro. And I said, you know, we're going to run buses. Other schools charge you about $95 or so to take you to the airport and pick you back up. And I said to the students, you can pay $95 like every other school in America does. Or you can wear High Point University clothing. I must see it from 50 feet away, and I'll wave the feet. And Alan... Just like every creative idea you or I or our listeners come up with, it always meets defiance at the front end. It always meets insistence. And people not, you know, people th- say, think outside the box. That's foolish advice. Don't think outside the box because you're using your frame of reference here, which is the box. Just throw the box outside the window. You know, it's still zero-based <laughs> thinking. And so everything we've done here is zero-based thinking. Within a year, Alan, nobody was fussing about that. And parents were saying to me and business people saying, my God, that's brilliant. You taught them a lesson about life. Today, everybody wears high point clothing all over the country. It advocates the school. It builds the brand. And I did something nice by letting them drive on these buses. We pick them up free. You sure did. You sure did. Listen, I, I want to switch gears a bit here. I, I need to ask you a question that's on a lot of people's minds. And as you and I sit here today, uh, the recent announcement was a $10,000 forgiveness for student debt from the government uh, if you're below a certain uh, earning uh, max. And uh, I'd like to know, as a university president, done what you've done in the last decade plus, uh, what do you think of this concept of, of forgiveness? Some people are saying it's not enough. Some people are saying, well, you're just transferring the debt to the taxpayers. But what's your view of this, Nito? Well, let me begin by saying that I believe in kindness and generosity, and I believe that I have a responsibility to help all those who may need my help, that I've been exceptionally blessed like you, Alan, in my life, and therefore I reach beyond my own personhood to help others. I do it with money, I do it with my time, my energy, my counsel, my guidance, uh, and so on. Having said that, I also believe in responsibility. I also believe in personal responsibility. I also believe that every action has consequences. I also believe that how what we choose and how we make those choices define who we become. Um, and so, so I have I have two answers for your question. The first answer is, I do believe that higher education is somewhat unaffordable for a lot of people, and we ought to work hard, innovatively so, to make it more affordable. Now we make it more affordable with public schools, you know, private schools are more expensive, but there ought to be energy. They don't ask people like you and me. See, they don't want our opinions. You know, they ask, ask your typical person who's been in that field for a hundred years. But if they ask people like you and me, I think we can come up with some creative ideas that say it may take private and public energy to make it more affordable. Um, so I have, I have empathy in my heart for those people who struggle, for those people who lost jobs, for those people who are incapable of creating more, more net assets or, or earn enough money to make things happen. So I have that, that little energy going on with me, which I, 
uh, occasionally have to sort of analyze. On the other hand, I believe that when you make a decision, you make it consciously. You, you, you took a loan. When you took a loan, you made a promise that says, I will pay it back. Therefore, I do not believe in forgiveness as such. I believe in forgiveness in, generally in life. Uh, but I do believe in education. And I think there are other ways to have done that. I think there could have been ways where we could have um, employed a private uh, you know, business people to say, if you have someone with those kinds of things, could you come up with some creative ways where they can earn more money so they can pay the loan? There are other ways we could have done it. But, you know, government is government, Alan. Government is always going to try to solve problems with, with, with taxation. So I have four children. Um, I, if, if now none of them, you know, had any loans and, and so on. But, but if they had a loan, I'd say you have a responsibility to pay it. Just like if you borrow money on your house, you, you ought to pay it back. And if you bought a bigger house than you needed, you need to, you know, do something about it. And, but, but having said all that, I believe institutions of higher uh, learning have a duty, Alan, have a duty to explain to these students, you know, don't borrow so much money. Don't go to the school that's so expensive that you have to walk away with $150,000 in debt. And by the way, you, you, you know, you're majoring in something that you're passionate about that's unlikely that you're going to make a lot of money. Now, if you're going to be a dentist, we have a dental school here, you pay $85,000, $90,000 for tuition alone, you're going to make the money back. I'm not concerned about you if you had $200,000 of debt. But if you're going to be in theater, and the chances right. are you may or may not, then you have to be more logical. That's what I mean by responsibility. So I have mixed emotions about it. Um, and then as a footnote to all that, Alan, and this has nothing to do with Republicans or Democrats, Libertarians or Independents. This is just a general comment. I think government quite often does things for political reasons, on all sides, by the way, all parties. And um, that, that, that eats away, to me, it eats away at you know, the appreciated value of what we do. But the bottom line is, Yes, as a country and as human beings and as leaders, we have a responsibility to help those who are less fortunate. We do. We absolutely do. How we go about it is what I am arguing with. But to say, boom, cancel that. Imagine all the people who make $126,000 a year <laughs> and struggle so hard to pay back their loan, how they must be feeling. Yeah. So, you know, this is where people talk about equity. I talk about equality. You just have to have a sense of, Equality. We want to teach good lessons to everybody, right? So, but what do I know? I would never run for a political office. You and I are more, you know, uh, entrepreneurial than we are, sort of would fit the system like that. I, I told you once you should run for senator, and you told me only if I ran your campaign. I remember that discussion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure you get this all the time. People call me all the time, run for governor, run for senator. Um, and I say, oh, man, I'd, I'd be in therapy within 48 hours. Well, listen, Nito, without, without running for anything, look out. A few years hence, and tell me what you see uh, as the major changes that are probable in higher education. In other words, is there going to be more remote learning? Uh, is there going to be more a study abroad? I'd, I'd love to hear your viewpoint of what might change. Right, and that's a great question because, of course, some, it's a question I think about strategically quite frequently. Um, let me begin with, uh, with what I do know, which is students. Let me rephrase that. Many students, an ample supply of students, will always want residential learning, like High Point University. When we had COVID-19, um, I told parents, I'm not going to close down. I know everybody else is running scared and so on. I'm not going to close down. I'm going to teach your kids to deal with adversity. 
Now, we're going to do it responsibly and, and, and responsibly. So we, we rented 10 hotels. We spent $20 million here to make sure that we have nurses and doctors and drivers and food people to deliver hot meals every day to those hotels and have security and a nurse on every floor in those hotels. And, but I want to teach your kids out of adversity can come abundance. You've got to sometimes go through the potholes to get to the mountaintop. So guess what happened? Then I said, well, some people don't want this for a whole host of weeks. So I offered them, I offered them an alternative. You can stay at home and do online. Our faculty were responsive to that. Or you can come here. 120 students out of 6,000 chose to stay home. The rest of them all came here. Now, as an aside, Alan, like you would have done, every day I sent a video or an email to the parents telling them what we're doing, how we're doing it, how we're dealing with COVID, how we're dealing with isolation. You know, so, so that's, that, that makes you feel good. The next year in America, I just want to prove my point about residency. The next year in America, private schools, I don't know about public schools, but private schools went down in enrollment 14.8%. High Point University went up in enrollment 5.6%. So I'm telling you, there will always be large populations that want to want the experience of being on a campus, experience of belonging, as Maslow taught us all, experience of, of teamwork and so on. So I believe our future is very bright. That's why we're building more residential facilities. We're expanding and they're coming here. Now, having said that, realistically speaking, we are a world that's so technologically connected. And uh, companies, some companies are saying, I don't need, the president of Temple University just said, you know, some of the, some of the companies that were hiring his uh, graduates are hiring high school kids because he's hiring them in, you know, in social media and so on. And they're very adept at it. And so, yes, yes, there are going to be a lot of, there is a lot of disruption. Um, this is a good article, by the way, the president of Temple University, the, the title was, it's Inside Higher Education. The title was, uh, Higher Education Better Change you better change or you're going to die. Well, I've been saying that here the last 15 years, right? That we're changing, transforming in the right way. Will there be more people studying online? Ellen, this is not new. The University of Phoenix and all those for-profits have done this for years. Liberty University has 75,000 students online. So that's, that's a story of the past, not the future. Will there be more people doing that? Maybe for adults going back to get their degrees. Not so much for 17, 18-year-olds, unless affordability becomes a greater problem and we can't deal with it. And therefore, by, by default, they go to community colleges and they go to, you know, they go to uh, public schools or they study online or whatever. I think the disruption, though, Alan, your question is so big. The disruption here is not just about online, remote, not remote. Disruption, my friend, has to do with substantive value. What are we teaching on campuses today? Are we preparing students for the world as it's going to be? Or are we still having faculty say, because they have the privy of curricula, um, say, well, I'd like to teach a course on you know, X. And the APARC committee, which does the curriculum, agrees to it. And the parents saying, I'm paying $7,000 for that course if you allocate costs of a you know, year and amortize it over courses, individual courses. I don't want my kids spending time in that class. That's the biggest problem in higher education today is that we come across like we know it all. We know what you need to learn. And some of that is true, critical thinking, analytical thinking. I agree with all that. But here at Hyper University, we're, we're a premier life skills school. 
So colleges are beginning to copy us. Um, companies are hiring our people. Internships growing by leaps and bounds. So that, my friend, is the biggest disruption as I see it. Now, affordability and you know, inclusivity, these are different issues, right? That, that the population is changing that today, you know, you can't be just a Caucasian school. You're going to have to know how to deal with all of the differences and celebrate those differences and allow for them with the resources. So I think this is a discussion for another day, which is how, maybe you'll write a book about this. I know you've written about it a little bit in some of your books. Um, what, this is a good book for you, Alan, seriously. What must higher education do to be relevant a decade from now and two decades from now and three decades from now as the world around us and about us changes and as Tom Friedman says, become even flatter and flatter and flatter? Well, I'm going to take advantage of that uh, discussion for another day. I uh, will have that discussion. I want to thank you, Nito, for uh, telling us what's been done there and how you've done it so specifically and your energy and your great passion about doing it. But people who are listening and would like to know more about High Point or contribute to the school or whatever, what's the best route for them to take? Well, the uh, website is highpoint, H-I-G-H-P-O-I-N-T, one word, dot E-D-U. My personal email, which everybody has, is N, like Nido, N, Kubain, Q-U-B as in boy, no E after the U, Q-U-B-E-I-N, N, Kubain, at highpoint, edu and i welcome any questions or comments but mostly alan thank you for being you and you and i got to do something together i think you and i could change the world <laughs> i'd love to say let's see if i can keep up with you i love the challenge nito thank you again continued success thank you sir you've been listening to the uncomfortable truth with alan weiss for free access to Alan's newsletters, audio and video resources, and for information about his global events and coaching communities, please visit alanweiss.com. Thanks for listening. Keep the faith.